Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. We are in uh, the second installment of our Summertime Stories series. How many of you were here last week by a show of hands? Yeah, look, Pastor Chris Pamilla, man, didn't he do an incredible job talking about the pool party in Palestine. And so we're going to dive into the word today. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to second, second Samuel chapter nine. We're going to pray and get started. God, thank you for this amazing day. Thank you for everything that you have been doing so far. Jesus, we sense your presence here, God. Lord, even those watching online, God, they've experienced your presence today, Lord. And I just pray that you would anoint the word today, Lord. You would take the Bible, you would make it come alive. You would show us your story of grace today. You would illuminate your word to our hearts and you'd help us to put aside any distractions this morning and let your presence be sensed and felt today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had a too good to be true moment in your life? Like something has happened and you kind of have to pinch yourself. You're like, there's no way that this is real. Look, I, I just being honest, I'm more of like a skeptical personality. I'm more of like the, the glasses half empty personality. So sometimes Things happen in life and you, you, you look at it and you go, this is just simply too good to be true. And you're kind of just waiting for everything to come crashing down. I remember back in January of 2020, you know, that, do y'all remember what it was like back then before the world ended? Um, and back in January of 2020, uh, me and my wife were pregnant and by we were pregnant, she was pregnant and I was there. Um, we were expecting our fourth child. Now, a little background is I have three amazing daughters and I have been a, uh, a girl dad for a decade. And I gotta be real honest, I wanted a boy. Now, I love my daughters and they are amazing and they are emotional and they're full of drama, but they are uniquely made in God's sight. And I really wanted a son so bad. And so there was all this pressure, right? You know, it's like, you know, if it's a girl, how are you going to pay for four weddings? And I'm like, I can't pay for one wedding. What are you talking about? Like, you know, and there's all this pressure. And so me and my wife, we decided we were going to like not tell anybody, no one in our family, we were going to go to one of those little uh, sonogram places a little early. That way, you know, before you get to that 20 week appointment, everybody's kind of waiting. We were like, we need to find out for ourselves without all this pressure, without anybody knowing. And so we went to this place and we told uh, the, the lady that was doing the sonogram, we were like, okay, look, we've got three girls, hoping this is a boy. Now, I, look, I've, I've been through so many of these sonogram appointments. I am a professional uh, at reading the wavy lines. You know what I'm talking about? I can look at a wavy line and I can tell you anything you want to know about it, right? Anything. And so we were in this appointment and we were like, just be, you know, don't say anything. Just put the image on the screen because we're going to know. Just let us have a moment, okay? And so, of course, she starts and, the, and the, she's like, oh, well, oh, that the angle's bad, you know. Oh, but look, look at the size of their cranium. And I'm like, I don't care about the cranium at this point. Um, it's not the body part I was looking for. Um, and so she's like, oh, I got the angle. And can I tell you, that day, I saw something I had never seen before in a sonogram. 
And the Lord had heard the cry of my heart. And I looked at my wife and I said, we are having a son. Can you believe it? Praise God. Come on, let's clap our hands. And later that year, our little boy was born. His name is Caleb. He is two now. And look, just for the rest of the pregnancy, I, I, would, I remember I would wake up and I would think, it's just too good to be true. There's just no way. We only have girls. We can't possibly have a son. And even now, sometimes me and my wife will look at each other and we'll say, do we really have a son? Like we have been parents for over a decade and now we have a little boy. I wanna to talk to you today about a guy named Mephibosheth. And this guy has a too good to be true moment. A situation happens in his life that he will never forget and hopefully it'll speak to all of us today about the story of God's grace. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses three through four. Now this is about King David. It says, and the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. If you're taking notes today, I've titled today's message, Leaving Lodabar. Leaving Lodabar. Now, a little background story here. The ancient Israel had a period, and this period was known as the time of the judges. And then there's a whole book in the Bible called the book of Judges. And it was around a 300 year period where there was no king in the land. And the people were not happy about this. They didn't want God reigning over them. And so they went to God and they went to Samuel the prophet and they said, we want to have a king just like every other nation in the world. And so God said, fine, I'll give you a king. And he gave them this king named Saul. And Saul was not a good king. You can go and read all about Saul, but Saul was not a good king and he was not meant to be the king for long. And he rebelled against God. He disobeyed God. He failed God and the people. He didn't honor God. And so God said, I'm going to raise up a new king. I'm going to raise up this new king and his name is David. And we heard the story of David before. And it's the same David from the story of David and Goliath. And God raises David up and he is going to remove Saul and, uh, from the throne. And so Saul has a son named Jonathan. Now, during the time before David took the throne, Saul, uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, and David became very, very close. They were very good friends. And one day, in one single day, Saul is killed in battle. His son, Jonathan, dies, and his other sons die. And David ascends the throne. Now, in the ancient world, what would happen is, is if you were a new dynasty and you were coming in, to uh, this kingship, this lordship, what you would do typically is you would go and you would eliminate any stragglers from the previous dynasty. You would go and find any relatives that were remaining from the old dynasty and you'd have them killed because maybe there was a group of people that still were loyal to the old dynasty and maybe they could um, uh, you know, garner some kind of uh, support and they could create an uprising. So it was very, very natural for the new king to eliminate any remaining relatives of the old king. And so from a political standpoint, the descendants of Saul were David's enemies. And what's crazy about this story 
is one day David is sitting and he's just thinking and he's thinking about the line of Saul and he's thinking about his friend, Jonathan, who's been killed. And he says to this question, he asks this guy named Ziba. He's like, is there anybody left? Is there anybody left from the line of Saul? Now, Ziba is a snitch, all right? So Ziba's like, oh yeah, well, there's this one guy. But it's so crazy to me that David, this king that is after God's own heart is what the Bible says. He was a man who loved God, who was like God in a lot of ways. He's just sitting around one day and he's like, I just wanna bless somebody. I wanna bless somebody from the line of Saul. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I wanna see that I saw about grace from this passage is this, is that grace comes from his goodness. Grace comes from his goodness. You see, this isn't just David hanging around and all of a sudden some descendant of Saul comes and he's just like, okay, I'll show you mercy. He's actively thinking about how he can bless his enemy. It reminded me of this scripture in Romans chapter five, verse eight. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, in the middle of our rebellion, in the middle of our sin, in the middle of being God's enemy, from his own goodness, from his own love, he didn't wait for us to beg him, but he took the initiative and he sent his son Jesus to come and pay the price for our sins. You see, grace comes from God's goodness. God has this grace that's not just reactive, but it's active. It's not just God just sitting back and he's like, yeah, I got, I got some grace in the back storage room that I'm gonna, I'm gonna hand out if somebody comes up. He's not doing that. He's actively looking for ways to bestow his grace on people. I thought about it like this. Uh, how many of y'all are in a small group? Anybody in a small group out there? Man, that's awesome. Like, yeah, I'm in a small group. Me and a group of guys, uh, we meet on Friday mornings at Frank's in Prairieville. Come on, that's the best place for a small group, you know, ever, you know. Um, tons of bacon. And so um, we eat there and we, we talk about the Bible. And I got a good friend, a guy by the name of Perry Perrette. Now, Perry is here today, but he's up in Kids District working security, all right? So if you see Perry, I want you to tell him I, I preached about him because I know it'll, it'll, it'll make him feel good. Um, so the context here is that one day my wife comes to me and she's like, hey, our, our, our van has got, you know, one of those little, you know, lights on that says something's wrong with the tires. And um, it kind of feels a little bit funny when I drive it. And just like any good husband, I told her, I said, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a sensor, right? <laughs> sensor. You know, you know, these new smart vehicles and all their sensors. And so I just, you know, I was like, you'll be fine. Well, about three or four weeks goes by. She mentions it multiple times and I ignore it multiple times being the good husband that I am. And um, one day she's about to leave to go drop Caleb off at the daycare. The girls are already at school. And so our routine was that I would take Caleb and I would go and I'll put him in the car seat. And as I'm putting him in the car seat, look, I, I, I'm a praying dad, but you know, let's be honest, sometimes I don't pray as much as I should. And as I'm putting him in the car seat, I get this like, I'm gonna use a big spiritual word here, unction. Unction, that's a, or a prompting, a feeling that I should be praying over the vehicle. And I thought that was a little weird. 
I was like, that's the kind of thing that happens to like Pastor David or Pastor Johnny, all right? That's like, not like Terry Olivier stuff, right? And so I was like, all right, well, I think I just need to pray over the vehicle. And so I started praying over the vehicle. And of course, I'm not gonna tell this to my wife who's about to get in the vehicle and drive down the interstate. And so, uh, so I, I pray over the vehicle and I'm like, Lord, protect, protect my wife, protect my son. And I'm a little concerned that I was like, okay, maybe it's just a fleeting emotion. Well, they leave. I go in the house, I fix my coffee, I pick up my phone and I have a text from Perry. Now, if, here's the thing. This is not normal. Like this is the kind of thing that Perry's just always doing. Like he's some kind of weird guy, you know, but he sends me this text and this is exactly what the text says. How is Amanda's tires? I had a dream. You need to check them. <laughs> Immediately, my heart sank. Uh, and I was like, oh, no, what do I do? And I immediately pulled my phone out, and I see that she's driving down the interstate. So, again, I'm not going to call her, right? Because then she's going to be like, freaked out. Like, what's going on? And I'm like, all right, God, obviously you gave Perry a dream. So this is a warning. Um, you're looking out for me. So she's going to make it safe. So... I just keep watching and eventually she gets to, uh, she gets to drop uh, Caleb off at the daycare and I can see that she's safe. And so I, I jump in my car and I drive and I get her van and I take it the only place that I could, Christian Brothers, right? You know, it's a place that has the word Christ in it. So clearly that's where God wanted me to go. So I bring it to Christian Brothers and I look at this guy and I'm like, look, man, I need you to check out these tires. And he's like, all right. I was like, I don't know how to say this, but like really, really look at the tires, like specifically the tires. And the guy's like, it's weirdo. And, um, and so they go and they, they look at the tires and the guy comes back and he's like, man, am I glad you brought this vehicle in today? He said, you've got about 5% left on these tires. He's like, but your brakes are in a bad place. They could have gone out any second. He's like, your rotors are gone. He's like, I honestly don't know how you drove this vehicle here. And I was like, oh, thank God for his grace. And the guy said, yeah, it'll be $1,300. <laughs> so immediately I pulled out my phone and I texted Perry and I told him exactly what was happening. I said, Perry, God, he gave you the vision. My question is, is, is he going to give you the provision? Perry said, nope, he just gave me the vision. <laughs> and I just thought about, man, like here I was, let's be honest, being a neglectful husband in my husbandly duties, not paying attention, not heeding the warnings of, of the vehicle or my wife. And man, God was so gracious to me. I just remember just thanking God for weeks. It's like, God, thank you that you took, you took care of me even when I wasn't paying attention. You see, that is a picture of how God's grace works. He's always looking out for us because he's good. Not because we're good, but because he's good. You see, grace comes from his goodness. But the second thing I want to say is this, is that grace meets us in our brokenness. Grace meets us in our brokenness. A few chapters earlier, it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, he had a son who was crippled in his feet, and he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from uh, Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. 
So why is she running? Because she's scared, right? She's fleeing because in one day, Saul dies and Jonathan dies. And the Bible even tells us that the other sons of Saul die as well. And she's thinking he's next. He's next. The, the kingdom is falling. The, the throne and the dynasty is over. I've got I've to get Mephibosheth out of here before he is a target. And she's trying to protect him. And as she's running, she drops him and he becomes crippled. And he's only five years old and he's going he's gonna to go and he's going to live in this place called Lodabar at this guy's house. This guy named Maker. He's in Lodabar. I bet he was glad he had friends in Lodabar places. <laughs> Cheesy dad joke. I had to say it though. And he's going to go to this guy's house and he's going to spend his life in hiding. You know, Lodabar... It literally means, in Hebrew, not a pasture. Not a pasture. In other words, somebody went to this place and they were like, what should we call it? And they were like, oh, it's not a pasture. I'll tell you that much, right? This is, we, it, it's named by what it's not. And this is a kid who spent the first five years of his life in a palace. And he's literally going from the palace to a no place to not a pasture. I want you to think about this. In one day, he lost three things. First, he lost his lineage. He lost his grandfather, the king, Saul. He lost his father, Jonathan, who was the prince. He lost his uncles all in one day. He lost his lineage, but then he also lost his livelihood. You see, because he was dropped and he was crippled in his feet from that point forward, he would never be able to work for himself. He would always be at the mercy of other people. He would always be in hiding. He would always be needing a handout because he couldn't do anything on his own anymore. He didn't have the ability to work. He had land, but now he's not even able to work that land anymore. And he's got to live in somebody else's house. He lost his lineage. He lost his livelihood. And then he lost his legacy. You see, he was supposed to be a king one day. Imagine being a little child, five years old, being told, hey, one day dad's gonna be king. And then one day you're gonna be king. And you're gonna rule and you're gonna reign over this mighty nation. And to have these hopes and these dreams and this legacy that you're supposed to fulfill, all of this is gone in one day. You see, sometimes we inherit our hurts. Sometimes we inherit our hurts. You see, he didn't do any of this. He didn't cause any of this to happen. And sometimes in life, through decisions of other people, through situations that we can't control, we inherit our hurts. And we end up in Lodabar. And can I tell you this? This story is so beautiful because it tells us this, that just because you inherit your hurts doesn't mean you have to inhabit them. You don't have to stay there. There's a load of bar that we all have visited. There's a load of bar. There's a place that we all go. And this story shows us we don't have to stay there. You know, we read verses three and four and I want to, I want to read them again. And I want to point something out to you. It says this, and the King said, 
Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? You see, this is powerful. Because Ziba says, there, there is somebody, but he's crippled. He's crippled in his feet. And I thought about it. Why would Ziba bring this detail out? He could have just said, yeah, there's this guy named Mephibosheth. We can go get him. Why does he bring this out? Really, I think there's probably two reasons, two options for him. Why would he say this first? I think he might be looking out and he's trying to tell David, look, he's, he's crippled. He doesn't, he's no threat to you, David. Maybe David is doing some kind of switcheroo where he's like, I want to show kindness to the descendants of Saul. Maybe he's, maybe he's lying. Maybe this King David doesn't really want to bless somebody. And so maybe he's saying, look, he's not a threat. Nobody's going to follow this guy. There's not going to be an uprising. Maybe he's saying he's not a threat to you. Or maybe what he's saying is he's of no use to you. There's no, there's nothing he could add to your life. David, there's no value that he possesses that you need. You are the king. You have everything you need. He brings up the brokenness. And here's the thing about the world. The world wants to identify us by our brokenness. The world wants to label us by our brokenness. But I love David's response. He doesn't even acknowledge the brokenness. What does he say? He says, where is he? You see, David wasn't just concerned about his brokenness. He was more concerned about his location. You know what this shows me about grace? Is that grace says that our brokenness does not have to keep us distant from God. Just because you're broken doesn't mean that you have to be distant. God wants us close. And this question, he says, where is he? It immediately brought me back to Genesis chapter 3. The very first sin and Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden and God walks through the garden and they're in their shame. They're in their brokenness. They're in their sin. They're in their defeat. And God asked the question, where are you? Where are you? They were in the very first Lodabar. You know, three years ago this month, I found myself in Lodabar. And if I could just peel back the layer here and just be honest with you, I have in my life had a struggle specifically with food. I've always had this kind of weird, unhealthy relationship to food, this on again, off again uh, sort of deal. You know, I used to joke and tell people that my first girlfriend was Lil Debbie. She was fine, right? You know, and, 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 and my whole life, I, I had this battle with food and I, you know, I gain weight, then I'd lose weight, then I'd gain weight and then I'd lose weight. And then over the course of my adulthood, I just sorted, I just sort of gave up. I went through some personal tragedy. I, I lost one of my closest friends in the entire world to cancer. And me and my wife, we, we walked through miscarriage and and, and honestly, I just found myself giving up. And here I am, I'm a pastor on staff at a church. I'm a Christian, I'm a minister, I teach the Bible. And I found myself three years ago this month 
weighing 430 pounds. And I was in Lodabar. It wasn't a pasture, I'll tell you that much. I felt broken. I felt ashamed. I felt like God couldn't possibly love me. Look what I had become. Well, look what I allowed my life to be. And in that brokenness, I went to God and I said, God, I want to change. I want to be different. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want out of Lodabar. I don't want to be here. And I felt like God said, my grace is enough. My grace is enough. And I said, okay, well, do I need to go get like the surgery? I know that works for some people. Do I need to uh, go and, you know, do I do keto or do I get lipo? You know, I just, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole array of possibilities here. You know, do I, do I go to Walmart and take those pills and make your heart race real fast? You know, like, well, what do I do? You know, and I felt like God said this. He said, my grace is enough. Every single day, I'm going to teach you a new relationship to food. And in that, I'm going to teach you a new relationship to me because I want you to know that my grace is enough. And every day I would just get up and I would say, God, I need your grace today. God, I can't do it. I'm broken. What I've done and where I'm at is not where I want to be. God, I need your grace. God, I need your grace. God, I need your grace. You know, it's been three years and because solely the grace of God in the last three years, I've lost 170 pounds. And look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not because I'm so strong and I'm so disciplined because three years ago, ain't nobody saying I was disciplined. All right. And three years ago, what nobody saying, oh, you so healthy. All right. Nobody was saying that. What changed? The only thing that changed was I was, I was willing to leave Lodabar and just run to the grace of Jesus every single day. You know, the name of Phibosheth, it's so interesting because I wonder if this was even actually his name. I mean, he wasn't hiding after all. Maybe this is, uh, this was a name he just became known by. You see, he was supposed to be in hiding. Nobody was supposed to know who he was. Mephibosheth comes from two Hebrew words. And those words mean to break into pieces and shame, which would make sense considering what happened to him that he had been broken and he lived his life in shame. But I think God was flipping the meaning because it wasn't gonna be his life was just broken and in shame. You see, grace comes in and it shatters shame. You see, grace comes in and it shatters the shame in our life. And I feel like whatever you're, wherever you're at today, maybe you are in Lodabar, maybe you are feeling broken Can I tell you this? There's a way out. You can leave Lodabar. God's grace is available to you. Most clap our hands for that, man. That's good news of the gospel. The last thing is this, is that grace is undeserved kindness. Grace is undeserved kindness. Look at this in verse six and seven. It says, in Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, Son of Saul came to David and he fell on his face and he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said, don't fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake 
of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. You see, grace, it gave him three things. First, it gave him restoration. You see, he had lost this land. His family land was gone. And the king says, you're getting it back. You're getting back what you lost. You see, that's what grace does. Grace can restore to us what was taken and what was lost and even what we ourselves forfeited. Grace has this restorative ability to bring back what we no longer have. But then not only does he get restoration, he gets resource. You see, what happens here is that he has this land, but he can't work it. And so David says, you know what? I'm going to supply the people that you need. I'm going to appoint people to work your land for you so that you don't have to work that land anymore because I'm going to give you everything you need to go forward. You see, he was all about restoring what was lost, but he was also about equipping him for what he needed to move forward. But you know what was the greatest thing that grace gave him that day? It was relationship. It was relationship. You see, he had lost his father. He had lost his uncle. He lost his grandfather. And David says, look, I want you at my table. You see, in the ancient world, to dine with somebody, to invite them to your table was a sign of great friendship. And David is saying, look, I can't replace Jonathan. I can't replace Saul. But I can give you me. You see, David wasn't just opening up his pantry. He was opening up his heart to Mephibosheth. And he was saying, I, I want you near me. Not once not twice, not on the holidays. He said, always. The rest of your days, you're gonna eat at my table. We're gonna talk, we're gonna hang out, we're gonna get to know each other. And it reminded me of this scripture in Revelation chapter three, verse 20 that says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come, to, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You see, there's room at the king's table. You see, I'm thankful for grace because it can restore the things I've lost. I'm thankful for grace because he gives me what I need. But I'm thankful for grace because he gives me him. It gives me Jesus. You see, Jesus's invitation to you today is simply this come and dine with me. He's knocking. He's knocking on the door and he's like, I want to know you. I want to give you my grace. Maybe you're broken because of what someone else has done. Maybe you're in rebellion because of what you've done, but the offer still stands. My grace is available to you. He said, for the sake of your father, Jonathan, what was he saying? He's saying, look, Mephibosheth, you don't deserve this. You didn't earn this. This wasn't something that you deserve. What was he saying? He's saying, because of my relationship to the one who died, I will give grace to you, to the one who lives. You see, the one who lived 
was blessed because the one who died knew the king. And for us, it's the same thing. I am not blessed because of my good works or anything that I've done or some kind of virtue or value I bring to the table because I bring nothing. But I know the one. The one who died has paved the way for the one who lived. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.